This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Good morning and welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Nick Ashburn. And we are talking about the the business-driven social impact. A great conversation just now in the previous segment with Phil Weinberg from Strive, all about creating employment opportunities for people who are having a difficult time transitioning to the workforce. And now we take a different angle, uh, talking about impact investing, as we often do on this show. Uh, And we're going to be chatting with Gil Crawford, the CEO of MicroVest. So without further ado, Gil, uh, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning, Catherine and and Nick, uh, and thanks for having MicroVest on uh, Dollars and Change. Um, Thank you. Delighted to have you with us. So, you know, our listeners, uh, our regular listeners have this, at least kind of the most basic understanding that impact investing is a strategy whereby people and investors are looking to invest to make a financial return, but also with the expectation that the, the, the things they're investing in will have a positive social or environmental impact. Uh, and so I'm not just investing to make uh, money. I'm investing with a hope that I'm also fulfilling a larger purpose, contributing to, to good in the world. What, what is the particular angle that MicroVest takes on impact investing? Yeah, we are we're effectively uh, a bank for the un, unbanked, and as we were thinking about what we do, um, you know, we we realized that we we envision a world in, in which every person or business you know has access to quality financial services to manage their lives and invest in the future. And some of the some of the team members started asking themselves, what would our lives have been like without quality financial services? What would it have been like? to go to take a, a college exam and then have the exam pulled away because you didn't have financing or not to be able to you know get into a first home or a car or go to the ATM and confetti was spit out um that's the reality for for much of the world um we are a global asset management company that provides commercial returns that support this kind of financial inclusion uh, primarily in emerging markets. So your strategy, just to, to uh, I mean, it's interesting that you describe this as yourself as a bank for the unbanked, and then you know talked about yourself, your Microvest as an asset management uh, firm. So the first description might make me think, oh, you know, they literally operate banks, and you are welcoming people who are having small accounts. Uh, and uh, you know, helping them get access to loans and to build up their savings and and uh, and so on, uh, and that's not quite that's not quite the model here. We're we're we bank the unbanked, so we work with the banks in places like uh, Peru, uh, Mongolia, that have learned how to make um, small business loans, microfinance loans, uh, to people that when they get quality finance uh, can unlock enormous human productivity. Right. So you are investing in microfinance institutions. You are, are giving, providing the capital that allows these institutions to then turn around and loan to, you know, uh, um, folks who are, you know, uh, in, these, in these communities who are launching businesses who are growing their sustainable farming and so on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and how do you think about 
You know, I know from some of our colleagues' work at, at Wharton, Tyler Rye, I'm thinking uh, uh, is a management professor here who's done you know, fascinating work on microfinance institutions. How do you think about your your role in making these, uh, you know, bringing capital to these um, microfinance institutions? Um, for your investors, you know, they are seeking, well, I, I guess my question would be, like, are they seeking market rate returns? Is there a, a point in which, you know, you have to, to be taking into consideration how much impact is this microfinance institution having and what's my confidence that, that we're going to get a reasonable financial return in lending to this microfinance institution? Yeah. So let me say the question back to you and, and, and really how do we know that um, by making commercial loans to commercial um, financial institutions that are providing quality financial services that we're having uh, deep uh, social impact. And um, it, it's, it's really, um, you know, very, very simple. Um, we, uh, we evaluate um, the number of borrowers that are, are repeat uh, borrowers, uh, number, of bo uh, number of borrowers in these banks that have, you know, grown their loans. Um, we're looking at uh, is there a tendency for interest rates to be coming down as, as these institutions become um, more more efficient, and so um, I mean, and, and actually on that point, Gil, interestingly enough, anecdotally, um, it seems like as microfinance grew, theoretically, as it scales, interest rates should go down. But from an industry perspective, we didn't really see that. So it's interesting that you're you're looking for that trend within the institutions that you're that you're um, providing capital to. Yeah, you know, Nick, it's interesting. I'm surprised by that because um, you know, certainly when I got into Microfinance back in '91, interest rates in, in in all the markets I've worked in have consistently been coming down. Well, I guess what I meant by that is they were they they might have come down at a very large level, but given the default rates, is it an actual appropriately risk-adjusted return today, given the the history of microfinance? I'm not sure if I follow your question, Nick. That's okay. Keep going. Um, so. The, uh, the, the returns that we're, that we're seeing um, uh, are, uh, are clearly risk-adjusted. Um, and it's what uh, the, the reason, the underlying reason for that when you, when you think about it is that all of these the businesses that are, that are borrowing, they really have two options. They can borrow from a loan shark, often a you know, heavy-set fella sitting underneath a, a shade tree, uh, who has probably known you and your family, uh, they typically lend at about 1% a day over 300% a year. Mm. Um, and so the financial institutions we're talking about here are offering, you know, uh, a quality alternative that will be there uh, in the long run. And, and so uh, we, we see that uh, it's the productivity gains that allow these businesses to keep, keep growing and have a, a, a cycle of repeat loans. Um, what makes our loans to those financial institutions so attractive to our investors is, um, you know, first of all, we have a very, very diversified portfolio across different um, financial institutions across a large number of countries. And um, as one of our board members uh, said about his investment in Microvest, you know, uh, Gill's or Microvest clients uh, simply – uh, didn't get the memo in 2008 that the world had blown up. They kept manufacturing the artisanal soaps, 
milling rice, repairing bike tires for their customers, and they kept paying their loans. Um, these, these financial institutions tend to be in segments of their economies that are not um, highly linked to the global economy. So a lot of our investors um, see that there are very few places you can get short-term private credit in these countries. And, and Gil, tell us, uh, as, uh, you know, as CEO of Microvest, tell us where you are in investing. What countries? How are you selecting which countries? You said yeah. you're... you're yeah. So we, we, have, we typically have about 40 45% of our portfolio in, in uh, South America, Latin America, the Caribbean. Um, we're, uh, you know, the countries that we have um, uh, traditionally lent to are Peru, uh, Central American countries. Um, uh, we've tended to, we, well, not tended, we don't invest in, 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 in Venezuela. Uh, we're quite bullish on, on, on Colombia. Um, we, uh, we have been less uh, bullish on some of the uh, Central Asian and Caucasus recently. Uh, we have a, a large allocation in, in, in South Asia. We're seeing some very innovative uh, things happening uh, in India. In, in, uh, interesting. And then um, what about uh, in the United States? You've, uh, you've launched MicroVest, the first commercial private equity vehicle focused on microfinance in North America. We don't hear so much about uh, microfinance in North America. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. Um, educate so, us so about that. No, we, we are... Uh, uh, completely focused on emerging market financial institutions. So we're based here in the United States, but we, we uh, other than managing a little bit of cash, we, we have no money um, invested here in the States, and that was just a, uh, a focus issue for us. Interesting, interesting. Um, so earlier we were talking about the, you know, the financial returns for your, uh, you know, that, that, that you're achieving for your investors and, and impact. Um, you know, I think a fundamental question that, that arises over and over and over again in, uh, when one contemplates the, the social impact of business is, you know, what's the relationship between impact and financial returns? You know, positive, negative, you know, they're uncorrelated and you can find the win, you know, you can find win-wins, you can find lose-loses. How, how do you think, yeah. what's, your, what's your observation? Well, um, let, let me take that at a couple, a couple levels. Um, you know, maybe... Um, at first at a, at a theoretical and then at a, at a, at a, a visual or, or visceral. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, theoretically, there's a lot of academic research, I think, that shows that the deeper that a financial market is, um, the, the greater uh, the likelihood of a scalable uh, and, and equitable uh, development. Um, that's something that we certainly ascribe to. And deeper by, by a deeper financial market, you mean... Um, one where there are where where people have access to quality um, financial products to manage uh, manage their lives. Got it. You know, I think we tend to forget how much effort um, people on a daily basis are expending to simply manage uh, cash flow. Um, you know when. When someone in my family gets sick, um, there's insurance. Uh, you know, we, but but if someone gets sick in 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 in, in Zambia, um, they have to spend a lot of time managing uh, the cash flow to see if they can buy the malarial drugs they might need. Right. Um, so you know, uh, 
these are incredible breaks on um, productivity, not not mentioning the, the human uh, suffering and, 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 and stress of having to manage that cash flow. Um, so that's, that's the, the theoretical, if you will. Um, the, the visceral or the visual, um, uh, I had a, an officer, uh, a loan officer come back. Um, I believe they'd visited a Finca operation in Central America. And the, the person that was uh, helping them with the due diligence asked our, our loan officer to look at, at um, uh, two groups of women. And he said, can you discern which of these groups has had, you know, multiple uh, loans from us? And the loan officer looked at him, and they were the clothing seemed similar. They they seemed equally healthy. I couldn't figure it out. And um, the uh, the thinker person said, "Listen, uh, the ones that don't have their kids with them, they've had multiple loans with us because their kids are in school." Mm. Um, that's a visual for me. Um, and we and my team have seen this time and time again. Um, so I think both at the, the theoretical and, the, and, and just the you know what our team you know, our team sees day in and day out when they're out in the field uh, is the answer to your question. And so, Gil, you know, I think that you you've described the types of so you're giving to the microfinance institutions or the other financial institutions that are then re-lending to you know ex-consumer. And what I wanted to do is is highlight what that ex-consumer is for a couple of reasons. One is um, you know, what you've described as sort of the small business owner or the artisan who then can, you know, buy more goods or whatever. I was actually out in Utah earlier this year in January for the Social Innovation Summit. And, you know, there there's actually a scholar out there at the University of Utah who has looked at microfinance institutions and what most buy. And they really talked about, yes, they buy the goat because they want to sell the milk. But then the microfinance institution is buy is lending to a bunch of people who want to buy goats and so the market ends up getting saturated with milk they end up killing the goat needing it and then kind of it's not that they default on their loans but then that sort of economic productivity goes so like how are you differentiating when you're doing your due diligence on what they're actually lending to um to make sure that you know the impact that you're trying to have is achieved yeah you know it's a good question and i think it comes back to sort of um uh, at, at a high level, you know the the pendulum swing that I've seen since since '91 in microfinance, where initially a number of of nonprofits um, you know, really build it as sort of a silver bullet. Um, there, it, it has swung back, um, and uh, I think you know we you know we we are not we, arguing that 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 any of these financial institutions single-handedly are going to eradicate injustice or or, or, or poverty. Um, they're one solution. So now to go to your, your specific question, um, uh, the, we have, have a high focus in our due diligence of these financial institutions. Are these, um, uh, are these financial products uh, primarily for productive purposes? Um, and so the, the example of a GOAT that you mentioned, um, yeah, market forces uh, are at play around us you know, every day. Right. Um, and we probably can't get away from a concept of, of, of people being somewhat rational economic actors. I know there's a lot of research going on around that, but we, we have to operate in that sense. So one of the things the team looks at, um, uh, Nick, is they look at, um, you know, are, are a significant number of the borrowers uh, coming for repeat loans, are those loans, uh, is there, is there a, a, 
data that those loans are growing. And one of the things I find you know, fascinating, having looked at these portfolios, is the number of times that um, uh, some of the clients move from being you know, repeat subsistence micro-entrepreneurs to being what you and I would, I think, most likely agree are really small businesses, where they start mm-hmm. to hire people outside of their family group. They move from being informal, not paying taxes, uh, possibly not fo- following uh, local law, to uh, becoming formalized, uh, beginning to pay taxes, which are essential for these countries to grow. Some of them begin exporting. Right. Um, and so that's what I find exciting. And I think what, what we're seeing in microfinance institutions and where I think people who have been doing some of these um, you know, randomized control studies, a uh, very short period of time, often uh, initially used for malarial studies, what I think they may miss um, in those studies is that um, nobody went into microfinance because we thought it was going to, to, to miraculously solve uh, econo- all the economic problems in emerging markets. We all knew that we needed to figure out a way to finance small businesses. Even in developed economies, that's one of the hardest nuts to crack in, in, in finance. What we're seeing today with uh, fintech um, uh, and the, 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 the dropping of operating costs is um, a lot of ways that these institutions are, are slowly or quickly figuring out how to bank true small businesses. And these are businesses that are, you know, are hiring people um, and they're paying taxes and they're exporting. And that's, that's what excites me about, about where many of these financial institutions are going. So we're talking with Gil Crawford. He's the CEO of Microvest. Gil, um, as we come to the end of our segment, I'd just quickly like to shift gears a little bit and and help you, uh, I mean, have you help us understand your your uh, governance or ownership structure. Microvest is a, an asset management firm. Uh, it's owned by three nonprofits, CARE, Media, and the Cordes Foundation, I believe. Mm-hmm. How's that work? Well, you know... Um all three of those organizations, um, of the founding organizations, um, had a vision that the way to um, uh, to really scale uh, the the power of financial inclusion was to do it on a on a on a commercially solid basis to to demonstrate that these were investable assets that the poorest among us were good credits, um, and so. Um, in our organization, these three nonprofits really have served as the social ballast of our of our vessel, of our of our boat, if you will. But they insisted right from the very start that we set a really powerful commercial sail. And the job of the board and and uh, senior management has been to 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 maintain that balance, uh, if you will, the tension in the mass between the commercial and the social. And and so I think it's a, it's a somewhat unique uh, model. Um, about seven, eight years ago, we brought the senior management team in as part owners as well, which I think has added um, added a, a positive dimension as well. Um, we we really have the, a, a vision, uh, Catherine, that, that um, if we can't scale uh, scale this work, we're, we're going to have limited impact. And right now, as I look out at the at the impact investing market, I think there's an interesting barbell that's going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting work being done in the, the angel investing, the early investing, some of the venture investing, some of the smaller private equity funds, maybe sub, uh, suboptimal size. 
And then there seems to be quite a gap in the middle. And then we're seeing some, some, some extraordinarily large um, vehicles being, uh, being brought to market um, on, on the other end, uh, sort of in, in the, the enormous private equity funds. Some people have asked, is there a lot of uh, impact there? Um, in the middle, um, I think there's a, a natural place for private credit to play. Um, I think uh, that some of the large um, uh, allocators are looking for um, instruments that, are, that can be on their platform in a permanent way, not, not just coming to market every three years. Um, they need something they can offer their clients, their investors, on a regular basis. And so we think that, that the private uh, credit vehicles um, <clears throat> in the market um, you know, are, 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 it's really important that we, we get them into the billions, and that's where we're going to see the impact. I Great. think that's Thank, right. Uh, <laughs> Nick saying thumbs up. Uh, Gil Crawford, CEO of Microvest, thanks so much for talking with us. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Gayla Jennings O'Byrne, the founder and CEO of Intent Manifesto. This is Catherine Klein. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.